Hallelujah. Take your Bibles and go to John chapter 14. Hadn't the Lord been good to us? Would y'all like to stand? <laughs> Let's all stand for the reading of the scriptures. Before all the visitors get here tomorrow and the next week, I want to do a little something. I'd like for you to look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm glad. Go ahead, tell somebody next to you. I'm glad, try it again. I'm glad that I don't look like you. <laughs> and then look at somebody and tell them and look at somebody and say I'm glad that your mama ain't my mama Yes, sir. And I know Jared and all the skinny boys enjoyed Marie telling about me being skinny as a toothpick. So they got a little bit of their revenge. The Lord has a way of getting revenge on us, don't he? For 24 hours didn't even go by and I got straightened out on that. See there? Yes, sir. There, there comes Jared in the service. He's out looking for a wife. They might be in here, son. Just stay in here. She'll be in here. Odds are. All right, John chapter 14. Isn't the Lord good to us? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, and Holy Spirit, help us tonight. Lord, we love you. Thank you for letting us be in this sacred assembly. Thank you for letting us be in this blessed nation. Thank you for letting us be in this desperate hour. Now, Father, help us tonight, and I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You can be seated. Help us now. Leave your Bibles open. The night before Jesus went to Calvary, he shared his heart in a divine and a deliberate way with his disciples. He was preparing them for spiritual warfare. Amen. I want to look at those four warnings tonight. And see if it could help us, for we are his disciples in the church age. And we're living in spiritual warfare. Precious are these scriptures. John 14, 15, and 16. Intimate insights to die for. Jesus, the Son of God, speaking to His chosen ones right before He went to Calvary. 
I think it'll help us to look at it, don't you? Yeah. To look at that. You and what I'm going to point out tonight, preacher, is the, the areas from whither our warfare would come. Now, I'm not going to try to explain all about our warfare, but I think if you could just see where it's coming from, you could get some help. You know, when a sniper and our soldiers right now are having to go through a lot of guerrilla warfare. And when a sniper gets buried in somewhere, the first thing you got to do is locate that rascal. Amen, amen. Can I get a witness? Yep, yep. If you locate him, he can quit killing so many people. Yeah, yeah, he can deal with him. And you can even go find him and root him out. And get one of your own snipers. Yep. One of my weaknesses, now you're going to laugh, spy novels. I'm trying to figure out how I could be an undercover CIA agent while in evangelism. That'd be James Bond McNeese preaching. <laughs> Go across America and yeah. preach. Yes. <laughs> what would I be? <laughs> we need to find some snipers that are killing us. Look, and just locating them, you could avoid them. And I want to talk to you about seven areas of spiritual warfare. That's good, brother. Just where it's coming from. It's not going to keep it, it's not going to stop it from coming, but if you can see where it's coming from, you can deal with it a lot better. And so here they go, and here they are. Number one was what we read. There's going to be a great spiritual warfare. Jesus got them ready to deal with their heart. Now, a lot of preaching was done on the heart this morning. I'll try not to repeat that. But look what he said here. Let not your heart be troubled. Fear comes out of that old heart, don't it? Depression, discouragement, distress. Distraction, can I get a witness? Let not your heart be troubled. A troubled heart simply tells me you need to run back to your Savior. Isaiah said, is it chapter 26? Go read Isaiah, you'll find this verse. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Philippians chapter 4. Be careful for no thing. That careful means full of care. Anxiety. Be full of anxiety for not one thing. Now, how, how in the world are you going to do that? Not dumb yourself down and numb yourself down with Prozac and Zoloft. And, and I don't say that in a smart aleck spirit. When I say that, I'm aware uh, probably 40% of people sitting here in front of me are on some sort of antidepressants. And so I'm not trying to confuse you, but I'm, I am trying to tell you that Satan's not going to stop until this whole nation is dope addicted and nobody can listen to the Holy Ghost. And don't think I'm talking down to you. I know you're just following a doctor's advice. I know that. 
But you research that thing and don't drop it cold turkey. But I have been able to uh, talk to a man who did some great research from the only Jewish, the only doctor, a Jewish doctor, an attorney, who finally won a lawsuit against Prozac. All the antidepressants are from Prozac. It's the granddaddy. And all in the world, antidepressants are, antidepressants are doing is flooding your brain with its own dope. Your brain puts out a certain level of ser- called serotonin. It's a feel-good. It's triggered at times by different things. It's a feel-good fluid. Brother, Brother Dixon may have a little extra of that serotonin. He always <laughs> seems to be cheerful. Feel-good. <laughs> and what all antidepressants simply do is they get right in the middle of that process of your brain releasing serotonin. And it'd take 10 minutes to explain the science, but it floods your brain with its own serotonin. They have now proved teenagers are committing suicide because of this effect. They have now proved that people are having worse troubles than they were before. And I'm aware that many people here are on that because all across America, doctors, they'd as soon give you that as talk to you for five minutes. It'll pop out right on you. Jennifer was having a baby and having a little trouble breathing uh, for a little while there. And he wanted to put her on on Prozac and wouldn't tell us what it was. He said, take this. She said, what is this? He said, well, just take this. And 10 minutes, I watched her try to get him to say what it was. Wouldn't he, wasn't going to tell her. And when he saw that we were going to refuse it, then he told us what it was. And I, I felt like slapping the taste out of his mouth. Isn't that what somebody said the other day? And so I'm not trying to be ugly to you, and I'm willing to talk to you after church. Every time I bring this up, people get, people get worked up. But I will say, and the only reason I bring it up is to say this, that across America, we are a nation, yes, there are mental and physical and spiritual calamities all across this land. But I want to say to you, child of God, that we are commanded to be full of care for no thing. How, how can you do that? Not with dope, but, in, but by prayer. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Your hearts and minds. I've been scolded for bringing that up. I mean, I got ugly letters. I had a pastor's wife just rip my hide up on one side and down the other and found out she was on three of them. And, I, and, and bless her heart, she's just doing what her doctor told her, and I know that. But I'm here to, but I'm going to tell you what that junk does. It puts a lie in the heart of the believer. It tells you, Jesus cannot fix this for me. I've got to have Jesus and some other things too. And I got news for you. There are probably three or four percent of people that actually have a medical, physical condition that needs attention. 
Some people do need attention not because of a physical problem, but across the board, across America, we're putting our children on Ritalin and putting every... Hey, when I pastored in North Florida, I had a bunch of Navy families. And every Navy family I had, the mama, the daddy, and the youngest, the government put them all on something. I got news for you. Jesus can take care of the trouble in your heart. Y'all know I'm not trying to be ugly. Do y'all understand that? I'm not trying to be hurtful or smart aleck. I want you to understand that. Because that is a very hurtful area for people who are hurting in that area. And I have news for you. He can fix your troubled heart. Listen, it'll take the word of God. It'll take a prayer closet. It'll take an adjusted lifestyle. It'll take the support from the local church. It'll take Christian friends. It'll take sessions with your pastor. It'll take an altar. It'll take all the things that God's provided, but God has provided enough things to fix your troubled heart. Let not your heart be troubled. You're going to have a warfare out of your heart. Because it lies and it lusts and, and, it, and, it's, and it's lured by the world. I'm just so glad that God fixed this thing. He's seen what trouble there was in our spirit and he took his own spirit out and put it in us. We've got help. Can I get a witness? And he told them all in these chapters, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He'll be in you and he'll be with you. Can I get a witness? That's first area. A sniper's from hell. They're shooting at us, and it's coming from our heart. Number two, we have an adversary. Look in chapter 14, verse 30. Hereafter, what a precious conversation this is. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. What about that? He's warning them about Satan. And I'd like to warn you about Satan. Do it. We got an adversary. He's cunning. He's crafty. He's consistent. He's hard after it. And I want you to look at what the Lord will say to these boys. Preacher, watch it. When I got into this chapter, look at this. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. But Satan's coming. You know what he's fixing to say? Y'all have had some good times with me. But I'm leaving. And you're fixing to have some time with Satan. This is where half of you need to grow up. Get rooted and grounded in Christ and in the scriptures and in your faith because you're going to get real messed up when you hit your part of the journey where Jesus says, all right, we won't be talking much now and you'll not be seeing me. I'm leaving. Satan's coming. Boy, that'll mess you up, won't it, right there? Hereafter. And it's really going to mess up some of you that have to hear from the Lord seven times a week or you're going to give up. What you going to do when he departs for a season? Now, thank God for the indwelling Holy Ghost, but it seems like he can get real quiet too. What are you going to do in those moments when Jesus has set 
All right, boys. It's been a good camp meeting. Three and a half years they camped with him. They walked with him. They talked with him. What about that? You'd have thought their most spiritual time would have been when they were with Jesus. But you know, actually, there was more maturity displayed after he left them. They were babies while he was with them. And boy, don't we think some of these people walking so close with Jesus, boy, they are really spiritual. No, they may be such a baby, he has to walk right with them. And the one that ain't heard from him in 10 years is actually the one that's running on faith and maturity. I just heard from the Lord this morning. Well, that's good. Somebody in here may not have heard from him in three years. Maybe you heard from the Lord because he'd know you couldn't go 24 hours without a little bottle. Can I get a witness in there? Hereafter, I will not talk much with you. The time he spent with them was when they were infants. When they got grown up enough and he filled them with the Holy Ghost, he knew they could handle his absence. Can you handle his absence? What you gonna do when you're spending your days with Satan? And not with a Savior. You know what we need? We need some real faith. Do you know what kind of faith the Old Testament saints had? Hebrews chapter 11 said this about them saints. And these all died in faith. Not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off. And were persuaded of them. You want to know how an Old Testament saint operated? Most of them, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job, Adam, all them Old Testament boys, Moses, David, most of them only heard from God really once in their life. Now, a few times, some of them had follow-up visits, but it wasn't bringing a new word. It was just saying, now, what I told you, I'm still going to do. Most of them only had one promise given to them on one occasion and they had to live on that. And then they died on that. And they had such faith they'd die and that promise hadn't come about but they'd believe God while they's dying. You know the Lord promised me and he ain't done it yet but I want to shout on my deathbed. I've seen that promise and I know he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Joseph said, take my bones with you. He's going to do something. I ain't seen it, but he's going to do it. Isn't that something to live one lifetime on, one visitation from God, one verse from God? Ain't we something? We get, we get a, a testimony and a confirmation, get 10 of them on Sunday morning, nine of them on Sunday night, and by Wednesday, we're still backslid. We got a little old weak, pitiful faith. How in the world are you going to ward off your adversary without any more faith than that? He said, boys, I've spoken the words to you and I've, I've poured myself into you for three and a half years. Now I'm going and he's coming. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and he's going to remind you and he's going to guide you and that's how you're going to operate. I got news for you. While Jesus is camping out with you in some sweet glory days, you'd better know this. He's pouring stuff into your system you're going to need here after a while. Because he may be absent for, a long, for the rest of your life. But he's given you enough in those early visitations. 
He's give you enough. <laughs> Woo! To burn on and to believe on. And there are some of you sitting here that are facing days you never thought you'd live in. You never thought you'd find yourself in the shape you're in. Just know this, those early words. Back in your little, back in your three and a half days, with Je- three and a half years with Jesus, whatever he put in you, it'll be enough to carry you now that you seem to be dealing with Satan more than you're de- dealing with the Savior. Hereafter. I will not talk much with you. You don't have to. What he said already will carry you. Can I get a witness? Here's number three. Here's another. And and there may be a hundred in here. There's just some that I've seen. He was preparing them. Was he not? Sure. Here's a third one. Verse in chapter 15, verse 18. He warned them about the world. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. The world, that satanic system of society that has been set up to be in rebellion against God, he's going to crush it when he comes back. And I don't want to be a friend of that old wicked world. These young people right here. I, I Bless your heart. Get around some preachers and, and all preachers try to help young people, I guess. And we tell you this is wrong and that's wrong and this is dangerous and that's dangerous and this is evil and that's evil. And you'll hear all that until you don't believe none of it. And all that is turned into a bunch of mush and then and you hear some preachers and you know they're idiots and you don't want to pay any attention to them. Now y'all can't say that, but I can say it to you. And then you see other things happen and that confuses you. And then you see double standards and hypocrisies in church leaders. And then you see what's good for the goose ain't good for the gander. And, and young people get so many mixed signals in churches. And then one group comes by and said, you know, it's a sin to shave your eyebrows and shave your armpits. and It's a sin to wear colored socks. And everything's a sin. Then another bunch comes by making fun of that bunch that just left. And they're like, hey, there ain't nothing wrong with nothing. Praise God, just follow us and have a good time. We cuss a little, drink a little, make fun of everybody living right. Y'all know I'm telling you right. And then they leave. And you're like, well, that one bunch said that, you know, it's a sin to walk <laughs> without putting one foot in front of the other. Just right. And then this other bunch come behind and said, you can dance, do anything you want to. Ain't nothing wrong with nothing. Just kind of look toward Jesus and acknowledge him. And then somebody come along and tell you, well, now here's the balance on it. And then you don't understand all that either. I don't know what to tell you except this. You'll need, to, you'll need to see the big picture before you can ever live right. And here's the big picture. The Lord's right on the other side of that blue sky. He's coming back here in a little while. He's seen all of us as a miserable bunch of hell-bound wretches and he loved us so much he came and died in your place. Now right below us, there's a, there's a boiling, burning, bubbling hell 
where people who have rejected Christ are presently at. There is an adversary, Satan, and he's running a world system. He's got a world system. And that world system is anti-Christ. And what scares men of God is when we see the next generation dropping the guard and taking on the customs and becoming, becoming enmeshed into the culture of that wicked world system. Because that means you're getting sucked in and it may mean they'll suck your very soul in here in a little while and we'll lose you forever. And it's hard growing up in church with all the different preachers and half of them crazy saying all kinds of stuff. And then you go down there and look and say, well, it don't look that bad. It don't look that messed up. And before long, you are caught up in a current that's racing towards hell. If you could ever step back and see the big picture. I could bring up several things, but then we'd have to stay here and talk all night. Of what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that. I'm not going to let the devil confused this message by me bringing up some things but some of the things it's not that the thing is so bad but it's who's doing it and and why they're doing it and where it came from and where it's going that's what's so bad about it the world hates Christ and what you should do is just yoke your arms in with the arms of Christ and go on with him somewhere Wherever he takes you. Now, here's here's another. Here's another. Your heart, your adversary, the world. Number four, there's going to be church trouble. Watch this in chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. I get tickled every time I read this. I'll tell you why in just a minute. Chapter 16, verse 1. These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Synagogues. That's where they went to church in Jesus' day. When Jesus went to church on the Lord's day, he went down there to the synagogue. That's where they went to church, where they had church. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God service. Here's what tickles me. We've looked at our heart. We've looked at our adversary. We've looked at the world. But there ain't no talk of killing until you get down to the church crowd. (laughs) There's a rough. You're going to get killed down there. (laughs) What about that? The world, Satan, not even trying to kill you. They just trying to stop you. But you get down to church, watch out, they're going to kill you. <laughs> and one of the greatest areas of spiritual warfare comes right down there at the house of worship. He was getting them ready for church trouble. He said, I do not want you to be off-ended. You can understand that word if you pronounce it like that ten times. Off-ended. Knocked off the end. 
over the edge, off the edge. The word offend, we think it has to do with our feelings. It ain't got anything to do with somebody hurting your feelings. Hey, there's two timers. <laughs> My timer has a brother. <laughs> what about that? I just, never mind. I thought mine may have gave birth to one accidentally while I wasn't looking up here. Underline the word offended. Offended. You don't have it. Offense. We think it. Somebody hurt my feelings. I'm offended. You silly goose, you. That ain't the Bible offending he's talking about. To offend is when you cause somebody to stumble and they fall. Real Bible offense, the scandal there is not that somebody's feelings, but it's somebody falling. When you've actually offended somebody, you made them trip and fall. And Jesus said, there's going to be church trouble. And I'm going to tell you, they're going to try to kill you. And not only are they going to kill you, they're going to go down back to the church house and testify that they did the Lord a favor. Boy, it's bad when people are trying to kill you and they think God wanting them to do it. You say, where can people get that mixed up and that mean? At church? Can I tell you why there's such opposition at church? Because there's such an operation at church. There is an opposition from hell because there is an operation from heaven. This is where God's working. Therefore, this is where Satan's working. This is where God's working hard. Therefore, this is where Satan's working hard. There have been more people hurt, wounded, and killed at church. And it caused them to go off the end. Off the end. Brother Edward, I figured out how to deal with these terrorists. I've got the answer for Iraq and Afghanistan and Iran and North Korea. I've got the answer. Nobody can figure it out. I may run for president and just go around. I, just because I've got the answer. I may run for president just because Hillary's running and somebody needs to run against her. <laughs> Love to. Ain't got that. I've got the answer. I know how to shut down all them terrorists. We can't find them. We can't kill them. Get one of them big old fat helicopters. Who is? Is that what they call? Who is? <laughs> Fill it with about a dozen independent fundamental Baptists. We can shut down anything. We can find you and kill you. I've even got my crew together. Here's what you need. To <laughs> Just bear with me. This ain't scriptural, but it's fun. Give me two church gossipers, female, preferably. Give me one crazy pastor, one of our crazy ones. Give me two preacher boys that just started, and they're you know they're telling they're rebuking their own mother for wearing makeup. God, you harlot, you know you. Give me two preacher boys, one dictator, two church gossipers. We need some charter members. We need some charter members. Give me about three charter members. Some people that, you know, babysitted the disciples and bring them in. And, uh, and then 
give me the meanest, craziest camp meeting in America and take like three of the biggest nuts in it and put them on a helicopter. That'd be great. All right, we've got some camp meeting nuts. we got brand new preacher boys. we got two church gossipers. We've got a crazy preacher. And, oh, yes, charter members. Charter members. Independent Baptists. Drop them over there somewhere, and you can't kill them. You cannot stop them. They're unkillable and unstoppable. And just like let them parachute down and let them what now? It ain't going to happen overnight. But give them like a little while. And they'll, they, the, the terrorists will be turning on each other. Ah, just get me out of this. La, 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 la. I can't live with this no more. Ah. That's my solution. We're laughing, but if you've ever been in a church battle with some of this junk, it ain't laughing matter, is it? It'll kill you, make you want to quit church and quit serving God and quit worshiping God and just make you want to quit. Church trouble. When it gets bad, it's bad. And they'll try to kill you and then go down there and testify piously that they're in the will of God and they nearly got you killed and everybody clap. Huh? Amen. Church trouble. I promise you one thing. If you stay with God, you'll stay in your church. Amen. The Lord moves people from time to time for various reasons, but y'all know what a church hopper and a church hobo is. And if you stay in your church and serve God, it won't be because you love us, it'll be because you love Jesus. And you better learn that business. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I love you, but I'm not here for you. I love Brother Dixon. He's a friend, a dear friend. He's a dear preacher. I love him. I wouldn't do this for him. I wouldn't live like gypsies across the country and nearly lose my mind for him. I love these young men, all these young men. My heart just, just is torched thinking about maybe I could be a little bit of help to some of these young men. This week. Yes, sir. But I wouldn't sacrifice our life just for you young men. Amen. I love these girls and, and want the power and the blessings of God on their life. Amen. I, I, love, I love the brethren. Amen. I, I love everybody in here. Amen. But uh, I wouldn't do this for y'all. And I'm not here for you. I would do this for Jesus and I'm here for him. Because he had, he's asked me to do it, and, and he asked me without the opportunity of saying no. It was a, he told me. And, and I'm here because I love Jesus. And so all you young men could surrender, and God fill you with the Holy Ghost, and I'd be blessed. Or all you young men could walk out of here tomorrow night and go get drunk and never come to church again. I didn't come here for you, and I ain't quitting for you. And then Brother Evers, my friend, and he could do as preachers have before. I don't think he's going to, but he could turn on me and decide for some petty reason not to be my friend and go out to, sac- to crucify me. But you know what? I didn't come for this preacher, and I ain't quitting for this preacher. Amen. And then every one of y'all could get on this altar, and we could have a revival that would start a nationwide revival. Or every one of y'all could walk out of here and say that, 
that, that boy can't preach and he ain't no good. Guess what? I'd be right in my place tomorrow night doing my thing because I didn't come for you and I ain't quitting for you. Amen. <laughs> I came because he came. Yeah. Yeah, Woo! He bled, he sweated, he died. Yeah. He did it for me yeah. and I've been doing this for him. Yes. That's the only reason. That's, right. He's That's it right there. Now, to enjoy y'all in the meantime is just a tremendous bonus. But I ain't doing this for y'all. And you better not go to church because they like you or because they listen to you or because they use you or because they pet you or because you feel like you belong or whatever. You better, you better get where Jesus planted you and look at him. And if he gives you the nod, you go there for him and you stay there for him. And what you do, you do for him. Oh, there's going to be church trouble. Then, then number five. Here's another area. This one's so important. This one, this, one, this one may help somebody. Jesus said something strange when they got down to verse 20 of chapter 16. Everybody still doing all right? Watch this. This is amazing. Chapter 16, 20. Fairly, fairly. Put some of them verilies on you. I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. Now, I hadn't seen nobody claim that as their life verse. Hey, guess what? We're weeping and lamenting. Woo, good to be saved. (laughs) I hadn't seen that, you know, over the choir in a banner. Yep, that's right. You're right. Weeping and lamenting, church. Parties out there. We're weeping and lamenting. Come join our church. We weep and lament. <laughs> I'd like to lead you to the Lord. And here's what you can do when you know when you get saved. You're going to weep and lament. Wouldn't you, would you like to pray with me now? What in the world? He warned them. You shall weep. You shall lament. And the world's going to have a time of their life. And ye shall be sorrowful. But, aren't you glad for when God butts in? Your sorrow shall be turned into joy. In the next verse, he explained to them what all that weeping and lamenting is. He said, you're in travail. You're giving birth to some things. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow. Because her hour is come, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. There is, I want to say this carefully and clearly, there is a great spiritual warfare that comes from travail. And that is when you are in the pangs of labor and you're giving birth to something wonderful. Did you know many a church is in a deep sorrow, but it ain't because there's depression or anything's wrong. They're fixing to give birth to something powerful. Did you know many of you young people are in great straits and you think, my soul, I'm losing my mind, just trying to lift Lord, What is this? You have no idea. You're in great travail. And God's fixing to birth you. 
and birth something wonderful in you and birth something eternal through you and you're simply in travail. There's no worse pain than travail. Can all the mamas who have had babies say amen? Amen. (laughs) How in the world? We'll be careful in this subject matter. How in the world do them old-timey grandmas have 14 babies out behind the barn, you know? And then be back that night sweeping the front porch, you know? Making butter and sweeping the front porch. Bring that newborn to me. Woo, those are tough women. My wife likes epidurals. If you'd have said epidural to me four years ago, I'd have thought maybe you were speaking Hebrew. (laughs) But I am a father of two. And I now know epidural. It's a needle the size of a broomstick. (laughs) I fainted three days before they ever brought it in the room. I fainted five times just getting ready for when it would be there. Here they come. It was that numbing stuff where she wouldn't have all that pain. Now my wife has slipped out and so I can talk freely of her. She's the one that's more quiet and reserved than than me. I'm the loud one. But in that hospital room, I was the quiet, shy one. They They brought a woman in next door and she'd went into unexpected labor. She wanted the epidural. It was too late. She come in. That woman gave birth to a skyscraper or something. You should have heard her screaming. I never heard such howling and moaning and screaming. Oh, she hears it. Thank you, Edward. And, and, and it's so bad. They come in there and apologize to her. And this woman, she got here a little bit too late and she could not get the epidural. <laughs> oh, is she having an elephant? What's going on over there? <laughs> Screaming, hollering, travail. <laughs> but in about an hour, there was the most precious little sounds over there. There was a little baby cooing and then that woman was, ooh, and that baby was, and I was like, where did the 4th of July go? And my wife, she was in labor for uh, nearly a day, something like 15, 18 hours, and Preston just wasn't coming. We wasn't planning on no... um, well, I just, y'all don't need to know too much. <laughs> I try to behave. And they said, we're having all kind of trouble. And here they come with an epidural. My wife was very vocal in these hours. She's expressive. And when that and the anesthesiologist, <laughs> that, don't ask me to say it again, <laughs> came in there with that needle. I just went sideways. Oh. And they gave her that painkiller. He was short. He was fat. He was old. 
he was ugly, and my wife was proposing to him. <laughs> I love you, sir. <laughs> You're wonderful. You're the greatest man in this county. Oh, she was saying crazy stuff like that. And I knew, not to even mess with it, let her propose to the man. She, she's been dangerous all day. She's allowed to kill somebody. She loved it. Epidural. Because there ain't nothing more painful than the birthing pains. And child of God, ain't nothing more painful than birthing pains. God's going to birth some things right here. And you're going to think that you're dying. All the mamas say amen. Think you're dying. And the, and the mothers actually go down into the jaws of death to bring life back. And any church that's ever going to have the power of God is going to go through great birth pains. And they're going to have to learn... And this is when everybody wimps out. All the new modernists want epidural. And the old timers say, hey, we're just having a baby. And, and the new age moderns, they'll run somewhere where nothing hurts. But ain't nothing being born. And ain't nobody being born again. They're playing church. They're playing church. But if you go to a real church, and if God ever does a real thing in you, you'll come through some travail. And you'll nearly die. But hang on, because here in a little while, there'll be a man-child born in the world, and all you'll do is rejoice. And Jesus was going to Calvary. What travail? But look what was born out of the cross. We were born out of the cross. And millions more. And the greater the travail, the greater the thing being birthed. Travail. Don't give up, don't quit just because of travail. I'm trying to close now. Look at number six. In verse 32... He told them, all y'all fixing to quit. Everybody here fixing to run out on me. Without going into several verses, can I say to you, this, look at me, the sixth thing that I saw he was preparing them for was their own failure. You're going to have great warfare coming from an unusual source and that source is going to be your failures. I got news for you. We're all a bunch of failures. Amen. There was only one that had it all together, and he was the Son of God. Amen. Watch what he said to him. And and y'all listen close. I'm gonna paraphrase in verse 28. He said, Boys, I came from the fallen, I'm going back. Verse 30, they said, Now are we sure? This is the same context where Peter said, Lord, I am ready. Everybody may quit on you tonight, but not me. He hit a good tenor note. Not me. 
I shall go with thee to prison and to death. <laughs> These other boys may be a bunch of chickens, but you got a real soldier on your hands. Jesus said, you ain't going to last the night, you turkey. You'll be cursing me before the night. He was preparing them. Do you see what they said in verse 30? Now we're sure. Have y'all ever been sure of yourself? Take heed if any man thinketh he standeth lest he fall. Watch this. In verse 31, Jesus answered him, Do you now believe? Can I bring that to where you'd understand it? He said, Oh yeah? Y'all think you're ready? In the next verse he said, Everybody's going to scatter. All of you boys are going to quit on me tonight. Why would he tell them? They were fixing to fail him. He told them so they would know that he knew. He wanted them to know that he knew what they were going to do and he was fine with it. He was fixing their failures up before they even failed. Look what he did. And when I say he's fine with it, that don't mean you run out here and fail all the time and he's happy. Oh, another failure. Wee. No, no, no. That's just to let you know that he knows what we are and what we end up doing sometimes and that he'll not throw the clay away. Amen. Look what he said in verse 32. The hour cometh, yea, is now come that you shall be scattered every man to his own and shall leave me alone. He said, and yet I'm not alone because the Father's with me. And then look what he said. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. He said, I want you boys to know that ain't nobody going to last the night. And sure enough, when they came to arrest him, every man fled. And what would they have, what frame of mind would they have been in if he hadn't got them ready for their own failure. But you know, halfway out there, sprinting down the back alley somewhere, they thought, oh, he knew I was going to do this. He told me I was going to do this. And he, and he didn't, he didn't sign us off. He didn't throw us out. Matter of fact, he told us about it to get us ready for it. He said, I've told you these things so that in me, you might have peace in Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to have great warfare come out of your own failures. The devil will beat you up with your own failures. You can beat yourself up with your own failures. I promise you this. The Lord doesn't want you to stay in your failures. That's why I let them know this. If he hadn't said anything, I bet they may have, some of them may have thought, oh, I've let him down so I can never go back. He had never had me back. But instead, they knew that he knew and he had prepared them for their own failures. Uh, Let me tell you something about failing the Lord and about falling short and about stumbling and tripping. My old preaching daddy said this, whenever you fall, just fall toward Calvary. (laughs) And in a little while... Get back up again. A just man falleth seven times and ariseth again. Don't ever quit getting up. Amen. Don't Amen. ever quit getting up. Amen. Don't give up on God. God ain't going to give up on you. Don't give up on God. Now here's the last one that's right there. 
in that last verse. In the world, he shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He wanted them to know there's one other area you're going to have trouble and you're just going to have trouble because you're in a messed up world. Cancer is in this world. Babies die in this sin-cursed world. Sickness comes in this world. Famine comes. Prisons and persecutions come. Boy, I had a good time with Hurricane Katrina. You should have heard me, Brother Dix. Hurricane Katrina come through New Orleans. I was praying for it to flood New Orleans. Not one independent Baptist church in New Orleans. Hadn't been in years. Place is so demon-possessed, Only one of the only cities in America where you can't have church. The demon-possessed rat hole. It's Mardi Gras 365 days a year. Voodoo and witch doctors. I was praying for it to flood. And then Gulfport and Biloxi and those casinos. And I get to go down there and preach a lot. And I'd go by there and they'd show me them grand, just awesome casinos. And boy, I was shouting her out. God blowed them casinos over and up on the land. They'd lost more money in one day than they'd ever made. And I was proud of that. I was a, just a ripping into God! You know, you put four awes in there and you sound spiritual. God! He sent her Katrina down there to blast those heathen. I was ripping her up until I got to Gulfport and Biloxi for my annual revivals. And I run that line by them and somebody answered me out loud. <laughs> Don't you hate it when people do that? To be honest with you. <laughs> I said, God blowed them casinos over and a woman said he blowed my house over too, preacher. <laughs> My four-syllable God got back down to one. <laughs> well, I don't know what God was doing, ma'am, but uh, <laughs> I no longer was God. <laughs> and then after the service, they said he blew our church over. And old man came up and said, and he took my house and took my wife. I got to feeling real stupid. A feller I have felt often. Hey, stupid. <laughs> You're back again. <laughs> I got the feeling stupid. And it dawned on me. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. Hurricanes come and you may not know why. They come just because there's a sin curse in this world. But I'm glad Jesus is coming back and he's going to fix the world. There won't be no hurricanes in that world. And know this, in the world you shall have tribulation. Hurricanes come not because God singled you out, just because they come in this world. Don't think God's always trying to kill you. He killed His Son for you. That's how much He loves you. Yes. 
And if he lets a hurricane run over your house, you just remember he died on Calvary for you and don't, don't draw too many conclusions on why you get in this. Why do you get cancer? Why we lose our jobs? Why we go to the hospital like everybody else? You'd think those charismatics with the prosperity, healing stuff, you'd think somebody would figure it out when all of them still in the hospital and still dying like everybody else. <laughs> you think they got as many church members in the hospital as anybody else does. Duh. <laughs> they have funerals in their church. The Lord didn't heal them. <laughs> Their wives have false teeth and they have to wear thick eyeglasses. Talk to me about your healing. Does it work everywhere but your head? <laughs> That's great healing there, buddy. No, no. This is a sin-cursed world and we live in it. He's promised to get us out of it after a while. But he said you'll have to be there until I get you out. And so don't be confused when tribulation and troubles come. This whole world is going to have tribulations. There were Christians in that world trade tower as well as heathen. In this world you shall have tribulation. Just be of good cheer. He's overcome the world. I want you to bow your heads. That's seven areas. Brother Jesse, you come. I have preached nearly for one hour. What I want you to do is do business with God. You may need to come pray or you may need to go meditate. Whatever you need to do is fine. There's seven areas. Some of you young men, the Lord would like to help you if you'd let Him help you. Some of you young ladies, the Lord would like to give you some help. Children of God, you mamas and daddies, grandmas and grandpas all across this auditorium, the Lord would like to help us. Seven areas. If He's nudged your heart about one of these areas and you want to come pray, I want you to. Or if you just need to go meditate, Somewhere tonight, I want you to do that. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed. Who'll come pray with me?